the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 2. It's a delight to do it with our dear friend. He is one of the greatest political minds in our uh, country. He is George Kaloff. He is the managing partner at the Resolute Group and the president of Data Orbital, political consultant and analyst. George, welcome back. Uh, Thanks for joining us, as always. Yeah, good to be on with you, Seth. Yeah, thanks. I I have been doing a bunch of long-form interviews, and it may have started with you a week ago, but we didn't know as much as we did. We we didn't know as much then as we do now, but it may have started a week ago with you, in fact, kind of dissecting and analyzing what what transpired two Tuesdays ago, what the lessons learned are. Um, And I was kind of doing it nationally, and we can do that, of course, too. You know Arizona's politics and political landscape better than anyone. So maybe we start with a little bit uh, more knowledge now uh, based on what took place in Arizona from your perspective. Well, how, how do you categorize and how do you analyze the, uh, the aftershocks of two Tuesdays ago? Yeah, I mean, look, we, we had uh, massive shock, not just in Arizona, but around the country. I mean, very clearly, the Republican wave that people like me and a lot of others were predicting did not materialize um, at the top of the ticket races. A lot of reasons for that nationally, really the two exceptions being Florida and the other exception being the congressional races in the state of New York. And then really to bring it home to Arizona, there's a couple of really key things that I think I have landed on. But again, it still is going to need more time for uh, for the after action, which is one, uh, turnout was abysmal. And Republican turnout, particularly in rural Arizona, um, did not happen. Um, 6% decrease in Mojave County compared to 2018, 3.5% decrease in Pinal County, and a 3% decrease in Yavapai. If all three of those counties um, had their turnout equal 2018, it is likely uh, that Cary Lake would not be in the lead. Just those three counties. That doesn't even get to the other counties like Cochise and others, Gila, and that doesn't even get to the things that happened in Maricopa. So turnout is a big factor, and there's a couple other points as well, but but even that point in right there on its own w- would have, could have made the difference, not likely for Masters and Fincham, but definitely for Cary Lake. Okay, that's really interesting. Now, um, you, you know, yeah, we, we lost some big ones, obviously, um, and some we kind of thought, we should have more hope for than others. I was talking to a friend of mine in California, and he was asking about, but didn't all those polls show that some of these races were going to win? Putting on your polling hat, I I don't know the science of it, George, but I said yes, however, uh, so I'm asking you if this is the right answer, if there's a deeper explanation. I said yes, however, you know, while those polls were what you'd want, you showed the Republicans winning, I think almost all of them were also within the margin of error, and maybe we need to look at that a little closer. Am I on to anything there, or am I just wrong about that? No, no, you are. Look, a lot of the polls, uh, ours included, was within the margin of error. But I'll tell you, and I'll be the first to admit, um, this year um, we were more off than the last two cycles. I mean, look, I'm a, I'm a big boy. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an adult. I can, I can admit that. And one of the bigger reasons why 
is that we predicted a certain number of Republicans to show up. And again, we still don't have the final data, but it is likely that that percentage did not come to fruition. Right. There's going to be other factors for sure. The margin of error is one of them. Uh, Also, uh, the types of people that we are polling. Look, depending on the types of independents that showed up, that's a big question that is also sort of point number two, is that it is very clear that independents leaned away from Republicans this cycle. 52-45 in the state, roughly by what I saw. I don't know if that matches up with what you saw. Okay. Yeah, yeah, more 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 or less in that range. It could be more in in some other counties, but but outside of Maricopa. But the point is, independents leaned away from us. Again, there's a number of reasons. Uh, why that could be the case. Uh, but a lot of polling predicates and necessitates predicting the future, predicting yep. who we believe is going to vote. Yep. And this year, I, I had predicted something that did not come to fruition, right? I mean, and, and other pollsters the same. Uh, Robert Cahaley from Trafalgar, a nationally known pollster, had an entire article about, you know, why he, you know, why his polls were more often than ever before, mm-hmm. uh, as well as the cycle. Mm-hmm. Not every poll was off, yep. but some were in terms of who we predicted voted. And 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 I want to get to how pessimistic we should be versus how um, how optimistic we should be in a few moments. But let me let me stick with this uh, this polling uh, issue for a moment uh, because I had um, I had Sam Stone in the other day yesterday I guess it was and he and I uh, come at politics from a less scientific and probably more I don't know sociological or philosophic perspective. Uh, we're not math. I, I'll speak for myself. I'm not a math guy. I'm not a I. I, I I don't do well with math, but yeah. but he was making the point in language that I understood, and I won't do it as well. Say it as well as he did, perhaps. Is that you know we we tend to we have a tendency we Republicans, particularly in the last two cycles, to overestimate our own enthusiasms in the rallies and in the excitement for our candidates. He put it this way. He said, we have to understand you go to these LD meetings or precinct PC meetings or state committee meetings or for that matter, these rallies. He said, you're not the average Arizonan. Average Arizonans don't do that. You're already in a very small self-selecting group. And to expect that the rest of the state thinks or feels the way you do is a big mistake. I wonder if he's onto something. It resonated with me. It, it, I mean, he is onto something. Now, you know, again, to be fair, um, of course, we were looking at those things for enthusiasm. There was other signs and signals for enthusiasm, but it very clearly did not materialize it, it particularly in the rural part of the county. And uh, look, uh, Scottsdale um, had record-breaking turnout. So yeah, those school board can I still think that's the story of the day. We'll come back to that in a moment, but go ahead. Take right, it. Yeah. Right. So Scottsdale in District 3, which is an exceptionally Republican district, mm-hmm. and District 4, which is a very swing district mm-hmm. uh, that has small parts of Paradise Valley and Phoenix, too, but largely Scottsdale, record-breaking turnout in the high 70s, candidly. But the rest of the valley, uh, 60s, some places in the 50s, um, like in West Mesa and then other parts of rural Arizona, definitely in the 50s, some places in the 60s. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, the enthusiasm did not um, the enthusiasm did not pan out. There's just uh, there's no question about it. And, and again, until we find better ways to gauge that, um, you know, we, we don't want to overestimate. We can't overestimate it. And, and I was on a prior call where we talked about did he get out the vote efforts of the Republican Party. There was an assumption that was made and not a lot of money spent on getting out the vote amongst Republicans. And maybe that was true in Maricopa County and parts of Maricopa County, uh, but clearly that was not true in other parts of the state, and we need to learn from it, right? We don't want to ever repeat the same mistake twice, um, and so we need to learn from it. Yeah, I am hearing more and more talk from colleagues, my colleagues in talk radio, um, a lot of whom were pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing 
for showing up on election day, which, by the way, I will say I was never pushing. I never pushed that. But they a lot of them did. Uh, A lot of them did. And a lot of them have been saying over the last few days that maybe they need to rethink that and rethink um, how to play against the Democrats who really do understand the entire election process seemingly better than Republicans do. Uh, Is there something to that? There is. So, So, look, we have to face two hard truths. Either we reform the election laws and we all only vote on Election Day which with a Democrat governor, that's not going to happen. Right. Right. So either we need to change the rules because because that solves one part of this, or we cannot ignore early voting, because if we continue to have the laws that we have today, which is likely because Katie Hobbs is not going to sign on to major changes, um, we can't ignore 27 out of the 28 days that we vote and just focus on one day. Yeah. Right. We are putting ourselves at a tactical disadvantage. That is just the bottom line. I'm not saying, um, obviously, about harvesting is illegal and things like that. I can I can almost guarantee that that continues to occur because it's difficult to police. I'm not saying we play those games, but right. we have to at a minimum engage in the in, in early voting in the way that we have in the past, or we have to change the laws. But if we can't change the laws, we have to engage. There's not a third option, yeah. right? A third I guess the third option is you know we we you know we lose or or we yeah, don't. It's, it's a zero option. Yeah, be. yeah, 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 yeah. It's a zero. Now I guess ballot harvesting is going to be. I mean, we outlawed it here, uh, but there are other states. It's interesting. I have heard it's it's it sounds weird to an Arizona ear to hear some of these national hosts talking about how we have to do better at ballot harvesting. The truth is, other states do allow it. I guess, and and that that's yeah. what we're talking about in that case, right, George? Yeah, Nevada. I'll tell you right now, Nevada. It is it is exceptionally clear. Adam Laxalt's not the senator from Nevada because the culinary unions harvested ballots in Clark County, which is Las Vegas, and they had enough votes that came in late, and that's why he lost heart stop. I mean, we, we know that. It is legal to ballot harvest in the state of Nevada. Right, right. And that's why Adam Laxalt lost because he, he held his own with early voting. Uh, he definitely made gains with Election Day voters, and then he lost with the subsequent ballots that were mailed back and dropped off. That's a major problem. Let me take – can I keep you another segment, George? Let's do it. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Let me take this commercial break with you and come back on issues that did resonate, um, that you're picking up on, themes that resonated, um, and the kinds of things uh, that candidates talked about that resonated. And I want to also ask you if we shouldn't be a little bit more positive on this. I I mean, I don't want to be I don't want to be a Pollyanna, but we you know, it turns out we got now the superintendency over the issue of the 1619 project. Uh, We have both houses by slim, but have them. And we've converted the Democrat majority delegation to Congress to a Republican plus two. Uh, Tell me if I'm wrong to be um, much more upbeat than a lot of my fellow hosts. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Bingo Reverse Mortgage. With inflation slamming retirees, throwing retirement budgets into chaos... It's at a 40-year high. The dollar not going as far as it did just months ago. Gas prices still high. Grocery prices increasing over 13% since this summer. Recession looming. Aging adults are struggling to make ends meet. A bingo reverse mortgage could be the safety net you need to get through these hard times by allowing you to convert the equity in your home into cash. A bingo reverse mortgage could put more money in your pocket for living expenses, help you fight inflation, make your investments last longer, and give you the security and your retirement that you deserve. Call the veteran-owned and veteran staff bingo team at 928 277 
or visit bingoreversemortgage.com. Mention this radio ad and get a free appraisal reimbursed at closing, a $1,000 value. George Kaloff is our guest. He's the managing partner at the Resolute Group and president of Data Orbital. George, if you do look up at, at where we did uh, win, we took the Corporation Commission. We have maintained the majorities in the House and Senate. We got the superintendency of public instruction almost exclusively on a 1619 anti-1619 campaign, uh, which is a critical race theory campaign. And we converted our congressional delegation uh, to Washington from plus one Dem to plus two R. Am I wrong to think that there are some pretty big silver linings here, if not reasons for um, less pessimism? Let me put it that way. I mean, of course, of course. Look, we we can't we can't just be doom and gloom. Look, we're human beings, so when we're disappointed in something, we have to mourn. I mean, that's the process of of grieving. Um, but I have been trying to encourage people, even just days away. Right, we're we're only a handful of weeks from from when the election occurred, and I've tried to be very encouraging. And, and, and let people know, look, there were a lot of positives and there's a lot of underlying data points and things that we have discussed on the show. And, and we've, I've had conversations with people about that show that we are set up for success if we can get out of our own way. Mm. Look, we, we cannot be self-sabotaging, but the, there's nothing around the country that I see that tells me cultural conservatives lost, Christian conservatives lost, cultural issues aren't good and all the stuff that we talk about. There's no warning signs for them. Yeah, look, there were smaller majorities. Uh, in the U.S. House. We didn't pick up the Senate. Um, there were disappointments in Arizona and other states, but there's a whole host of reasons for that. And I'm just not buying, for example, that abortion, you know, end up dooming people or that cultural issues just lost. There's there's a lot of complicating factors. The, the postmortem on this is like 100 bullet points, each one having three bullet points. There's not like just two reasons or one reason why we, why we lost. Of course, we know the left is going to overplay their hand. They always do. We need to react accordingly. But we cannot be self-sabotaging. We have to get out of our own way. Yeah, let's talk. Thank you for that. Let's talk a little bit about the abortion thing. Again, you tell me where I have this wrong. I've been looking at the exit polls, the national as well as the Arizona on um, on abortion. And and at the national level, I think in the answer to both questions was the highest plurality at national. It was 30. And I think in Arizona, it was 35 percent. Uh, the statement is, um, think abortion should be legal in most cases. Okay. Okay. Legal in most cases. Now, 90% of abortions take place well before 15 weeks. 90% to me is most cases. That was the law in Mississippi that created the Dobbs decision. That was the law DeSantis signed in Florida. It's the law Doug Ducey signed here in Arizona. I, I don't think... Unless candidates were inept in being able to describe this, I don't think we're on the wrong side of this if we, for God's sakes, would describe it and would not run from it. Am I on to something here? 35% of Arizonans are where these laws are. They just didn't know it. Yes, 100%. And Seth, I'm going to use an example of a race that means a lot to me. I know a race that means a lot to you, someone who uh, is a close personal friend, a client. Of, of our firm's Nancy Bartow, ah, state senator okay. in District 4. Sure. Right? Yeah. That loss uh, probably hurts more than almost any yeah, other loss. Yeah, it's a sting, a big one. I can't imagine the legislator with, right? legislature without her. You know, mm. you know her heart is, is pure, and mm-hmm. she is always looking at those that are most yep. vulnerable. And yep. I will say, yep. if this election was an election that was a mandate against uh, uh, pro-life candidates and is a mandate for abortion rights, 
Nancy Bartow would have lost by 10%. Okay. District 4 is the quintessential suburban, affluent, college-educated white district. Mm-hmm. Nancy Bar- Bartow ended up losing by a fraction of a percent. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. And she was the face of the pro-life movement in the state of Arizona, mm-hmm. no doubt, mm-hmm. and arguably in, in the country as a state legislator. Right, Very few people have done more. And so that is one of the more helpful data points to show that, uh, and again, she engaged, our campaign engaged in pushing back against the opponent on the mischaracterization that they have about what Nancy does. And I believe it worked, but a lot of other candidates did not. I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah, <laughs> that I, I, I get it. I get it. But let me let me add one thing before you leave it, because while she may have been, you know, there was another candidate that I thought for many years when she was in the legislature and at every speech I've seen her at in the last two cycles uh, was proudly flying her pro-life flag. And that was Kim Yee. That's true. I mean, if you knew one thing about Kim Yee in the legislature, you knew she was pro-life. And if you went to a speech of hers in the last two cycles, she never didn't talk about it. And I don't know if any Republican got more votes than she did. Yeah, I mean, that's true. And that's that's what I'm saying. This this election was not a referendum on uh, pro-life or a mandate for uh, abortion rights. I mean, candidly, this this election, particularly in Arizona, wasn't a mandate for anything or anyone. No one won. Everyone won by very slim margins. I mean, Katie Hobbs was going in, you know, hobbling into the ninth floor. You're talking about thousands of votes. Yeah. Uh, This is not a mandate. Yeah. And so if any one person overreaches too much, they're going to face blowback. And I think she's already showing signs that she's going to overreach on, again, a lot of these cultural issues that I believe animate voters the most. And so we'll see. We'll see. This has been it's been a long time in Arizona since we've had this, you know, non single party control. It's been back since Governor Napolitano and Katie Hobbs is no Governor Napolitano. That was a very different different Democratic (laughs) Party of uh, of two decades ago than the Democratic Party of today. And I think cultural issues, issues of life, issues of curriculum, education, school choice, they're now front and center. And I believe we're in the majority on all those issues. How do you describe Arizona these days? I mean, you know, I guess there's been an effort to call us a purple state for some time. Uh, and it's weird how fast that moved. I remember when I moved back here in 2010, 2011, from the East Coast, uh, all my liberal friends were saying, why would you want to go back to Arizona? It's it's just not the state they think it is. It's not the state the New York Times editorial page thinks it is anymore, I think. No, look, and, and, and I will say, too, Arizona, it's been a long time since we were some rock-ribbed Republican. You know, yeah. We're not Wyoming, and I've said that phrase here. We're not Wyoming. We yeah. never have been Wyoming. We're yeah. talking about we've got a 4% registration advantage yeah. statewide for yeah. Republicans over Democrats. Yeah. Uh, look, our election results show that, at a minimum, we're magenta. I believe in the issue polling that we have done, and we do an extensive amount. Uh, we're nowhere near purple. Um, but there's a lot of dynamics at play in our political dynamics. We're a two-party, uh, and we're a two-team system here in the United States. We don't have 30 different parties like, you know, in governments around the world or in parliaments in the European Union or what have you. And so it's easy to um, white out some of those different dynamics at play. Uh, But it is very complicated. And I think Arizona can come roaring back if we look to states like Florida and others who have done a really good job of capitalizing on all these things we've talked about. Yeah, 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 absolutely, George. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate it so much. George Kaloff, he is from the uh, Resolute Group, where he's the managing partner and the president of Data Orbital. The Resolute dot group. The Resolute dot group is his website. I'm Seth Leibson. Your call's next. We'll be right back. 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. 
Last week, I guess it was, I read a uh, litany of issues uh, that we still uh, must address in 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 our country and in our state. Everything from uh, the, the critical race theory, the battle for our kids, uh, battle for parents' rights, battle for education reform, the economy, just a whole list. Uh, I, I did it for about 10 minutes. And I said the single most important question is what are, what are you prepared to do about this? With, this is one of the reasons I am um, trying to not have us looking so down at our shoes and saving our energy. You know, this whole project we're involved in here is not about, you know, one vote on one day or 2.5 million votes on one day or one month. Um, we, we, we had the election. We have our victories. We have our losses. But with those victories, you know, we have a lot of work to do, a lot. Um, I was mentioning, you know, the Tom Horn race is is a spectacular thing when you consider that he he ran on nearly a single issue. Yes, our scores, but most importantly, critical race theory. Uh, we have the school board. Uh, we won a lot of school board seats that ran in um, in what I call this children's crusade and this parents' rights crusade. Uh, they have a lot of work to do, and we better preserve our energy and get ready to roll up our sleeves and do it. Here's here's an issue. Um, not everyone in this audience, if not, well, I'll just put it that way. Not everyone in this audience subscribes to the Arizona Republic. My friend Steve Twist and I had an op-ed uh, that uh, is published there, and uh, I'll just I'll I'll just give it to you uh, here uh, because I think this is one. Uh, we write uh, within an area of Phoenix bounded roughly between Seventh to Fifteenth Avenues, Jefferson to Harrison Streets. There's an ongoing dystopia. Euphemistically and casually, it's referred to as the zone. This past week, an unborn child at 20 to 24 weeks of gestation was found dead in the middle of the street, burned to death. There, in this zone, nearly a thousand of our fellow citizens exist in disease, filth, and crime. They are, quote-unquote, living on the streets, in makeshift tents and under tattered tarps and scattered garbage, human waste, chronic illness, drug paraphernalia, fire, and fear. These are the unseen, they are the forgotten, and they are the abandoned. They are the mentally ill, walking the streets, talking to the air, battling unseen demons by the rest of us. They are the drug and alcohol addicted, so desperate for another fix or drink, they will do anything except seek treatment. They are routinely victims of both crime and neglect. No decent society abandons its fellow citizens to live this way. Darfur nor Beirut are our human or scenic aspirations. Not only is Phoenix guilty of shocking neglect of these most needy among us, it seems to be the policy of the city not to use the tools at its disposal to intervene as a force for help and repair. Take the cases of crimes being committed against those in the zone. Those living there are both routine and regular perpetrators as well as victims of serious crime. Not only are drug crimes the basis for regular escape and anesthesia, but sexual and aggravated assaults, robberies, arsons, and thefts regularly define the contours of daily subsistence in the zone. In a report from only two years ago, it's called Strategies to Address Homelessness. Strategies to Address Homelessness. The city of Phoenix acknowledged because of quote-unquote gaps, quote, the result is a fluctuating level of encampments along the street, defecation in public, sometimes on private property, 
litter and debris, public drug use, lewd acts, theft, and other property and violent crimes, close quote. That was two years ago. The city of Phoenix acknowledged that two years ago. It's only become worse. It's only become worse since then in those short two years. You would think that a city, let me pause for a moment from the op-ed, you would think for a city to publicly acknowledge this would be a summons to mass resignation, if not mass takeover, if not mass outside help. I'll read you again what the city wrote about itself. The result is a fluctuating level of encampments along the streets, defecation in public, sometimes on private property, litter, litter and debris, public drug use, loot acts, theft and other property and violent crimes. And it's gotten worse since then. I'll talk to you more about that when we come back. Conversation, casual conversation I had a few months ago with a woman from Los Angeles. I asked whereabouts. She gave me some cross streets that I knew. And she goes, of course, I don't go there anymore and moved on to the next sentence. You know, that's an interesting thing to say. Of course, I don't go there anymore. We're just resigning and abdicating large swaths of this country to places that are no-go zones. No-go zones because they've been taken over by depredation. We can't go on that way. It will get worse. Come back. Also happy to take your calls. 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. If you're concerned with stock market volatility, our friends and sponsors at Y-Refi have a solution. They're offering an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return not correlated to the stock market. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose, and there's no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. It's a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. Your interest is compounded daily, you're paid monthly, and there are no fees. It's a secure collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate, up to 10.25% return. That's right, 10 and a quarter Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call them at 888-YREFI-34. That's 888-YREFI-34. YREFI is a due diligence approved firm, and if you give them a call, they're not going to give you a sales pitch. They'll just be happy to tell you about what it is that they do. Let it speak for itself. I was telling you about an op-ed I had with my friend Steve Twist in the Arizona Republic. Those of you that may not get it. Um, and I was just talking about how uh, we mentioned that in 2020, the city of Phoenix itself admitted two years ago, almost three, that because of the gaps, the, re- quote, result is a fluctuating level of encampments along the streets, defecation in public, sometimes on private property, litter and debris, public drug use, loot acts, theft and other property and violent crimes, close quote. And that since then, it's become worse. According to a recent complaint filed in Maricopa County Superior Court, the city, quote, refuses to enforce in and around the zone quality of life ordinances prohibiting loitering, disturbing the peace, drunken and disorderly conduct, drug use, domestic violence, and obstructing streets, sidewalks, and other public grounds. Close quote. So the victims are just abandoned. Article 2 of our state constitution recognizes victims of crimes have the rights to justice and to, quote, be treated with fairness, respect, and dignity, 
close quote. These constitutional rights are promises made by the people of Arizona to every victim of crime, rights that city officials from the mayor on down have sworn to uphold, yet they have become a mockery as city officials refuse to enforce the very laws that have been written to protect victims from harm. In this limited area, it's only a few city blocks, in just the first nine months of this year, get this, first nine months of this year, in just this few blocks, people have called the police for help more than 2,800 times. 2,800 times. On average, in just a few square blocks, more than 10 people need help from the police every single day. More than 10 people in a few square blocks need help from the police every single day. Enforcing our criminal laws when a homeless person commits a crime against another homeless person is not stigmatization. It doesn't stigmatize the homeless. It respects the rule of law and the rights of the victim, which are essentials to natural order. It recognizes a humanity that inheres in certain populations too many of us would evidently rather just ignore. And these prosecutions can result in services, by the way, being mandated for the homeless perpetrator. But Phoenix is so wrapped in the dogma that pushes the failed policy of housing first and appeasement rather than treatment that it leaves the victims with neither justice nor respect. It leaves the homeless abandoned to the vicious cycle of desperation and misery. The city has been justifying its shameless inaction because of a misreading of a recent federal appellate case. But that case noted, quote, we do not suggest that a jurisdiction with insufficient shelter can never criminalize the act of sleeping outside. Even where shelter is unavailable, an ordinance prohibiting, prohibiting sitting, lying, or sleeping outside a particular time or in a particular location might well be constitutionally permissible. So too might an ordinance barring the obstruction of public rights of way or the creation of certain structures. Close quote. We're pleading that we start policing the zone and that we start enforcing the rule of law and we start arresting those who break the law. We're pleading that the city work with prosecutors and courts to screen for services and treatment, starting with a policy not of housing first, but of protecting victims first. That is what a sane and civil community would do before it spreads and before more lives are brutalized and lost. This is just one of many, many issues we still have to deal with. One of them that we have to deal with that with the, you know someone like a Sam Stone on our city council with a Republican legislature, maybe we can do. Maybe we can do. Or getting more involved in other issues. Consider this. I said this the other day, and I don't think enough people have wrapped their heads around it. Here in Arizona, in Arizona, 44% more fentanyl deaths last year than COVID deaths in the 45 and under-aged population. 45 and under-aged. 44% more fentanyl deaths than COVID. 98% more fentanyl deaths last year than COVID deaths in the age group 25 and under. 98% more fentanyl deaths last year in Arizona than COVID deaths 
in the age group 25 and under. These are, these are devastatingly serious issues, which is why we cannot afford, whatever our preferences were, we cannot afford to give up. I heard Charlie Kirk this morning talking about this notion that a lot of people want to throw in the towel. It's the last thing. It's the last thing. Because we were defeated one way or another, that's what the people who defeated us would like us to do. But we have serious issues. If our children matters, if our public health matters, if our mores matter, if our constitution, state and federal matters, if crime matters, if our sovereignty and border integrity matter, if our economy matters, if being able to go to work matters, if not having to be mandated to take an experimental vaccine matters, if any of that stuff and more, a lot more matters, we cannot afford to be weary and tired or throw in the towel. Just can't. Just can't. If that stuff doesn't matter to you, then yeah, throw in the towel. But that would be giving them a double victory. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Uh, I think it was just yesterday we were talking about the... Um, we were talking about whatever happened. We had a caller saying, whatever happened to that raid of Mar-a-Lago that was uh, spoken about for a month? All those nuclear secrets of Donald Trump's that he was hiding. Well, John Hinderocker to the rescue. He writes today, remember the hysteria over the classified documents that Donald Trump had in his basement at Mar-a-Lago? Remember the claim that the fugitive boxes contained nuclear secrets that Trump supposedly might sell to foreign adversaries? That was one of the dumbest theories of recent times, which is saying a lot. But now... That the midterms are safely behind us, the Biden administration is leaking a different message. Never mind. As usual, the administration's scrivener <laughs> is the Washington Post, which quotes, quote, people familiar with the matter and people who spoke on the condition of anonymity. Turns out that there was nothing of significance in those boxes at all. Here's the Washington Post. The Washington Post, quote, Federal agents and prosecutors have come to believe former President Donald Trump's motive for allegedly taking and keeping classified documents was largely out of ego and a desire to hold on to the materials as trophies or mementos, according to people familiar with the matter. Imagine that, holding on to mementos. I'm sure no prior president has done that. Here's more from The Washington Post. That review has not found any apparent business advantage to the types of classified information in Trump's possession. People said the FBI interviews with witnesses so far, they said, also do not point to any nefarious, that means evil, any nefarious effort by Trump to leverage, sell, or use government secrets. Instead, the former president seemed motivated by a more basic desire not to give it up, not to give up what he believed was his property, the people said. That's the Washington Post. John concludes, and needless to say, no nuclear secrets. The Democrats continually lie, and when their lies have served their purpose, they quietly move on, move on without apology or any sort of accountability. This is a callback to what we were talking about yesterday. If you have a reason or see a need for the reason of hearings, this is it. This is it. They do this to Republicans all the time. I love this idea that... Uh, that federal agents and prosecutors have come to believe, as the Washington Post puts it. Come to believe? What? 
when did the papers, when was it the media's job to believe the federal government first and not the citizen first? Wasn't the point of the journalist to be skeptical of the government? But the entire narrative was always based on what the FBI said and never what the citizen said. Not in this case, not in most when it comes to Donald Trump. A better journalism would ref- would redound to its original roots, which is to keep the government honest, not to continually harass non-governmental citizens. Seth Leibson, we'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.